right? Well, if you turn in your Bibles for the last time to Philippians, we started this series our first Sunday, and uh, when we launched, and we're finishing it today. Uh, so we're in Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. We have extras. Uh, just raise your hand if you, um, the outline's on page 7. If you need a pen, raise your hand, and we'll give you one of those too. And um, so as you turn there, if you're getting one of those Bibles, it's on page 571. Uh, so that'll make it easier for you. 571. All right, so it's, we're going to start in verse 10 and finish out chapter 4 here. Well, let us give our attention to God's perfect word that applies to everything. Here we go. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you had revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply Every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, you tell us to be content. You give us this example. Lord, I pray that you would help us get a hold of this secret today. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I don't know if any of you have ever known someone who lived through the Great Depression. Any of your relatives? When that, or even maybe you lived through it, but I don't think anyone, but maybe your parents did. Um, but anyway, it, it had an indelible impression on that generation. Isn't that true? That they, were, they didn't want to waste anything. They were very careful, and they, they had this, this, this feeling that it could happen again. Right? We just don't. After you experience something like that, you're changed forever. I think we all have a little bit of that in us, if we're honest. Have you ever been anxious about money? Have you ever worried, will you have enough for retirement when you get there? Have you ever watched the stock market plummet and, and get this knot in your stomach. We all have done some of those, right? Or let's flip the coin over. From, that's from the side of, of being anxious about those things. What about contentment? How much? This is an age-old question. How much is enough? Right? Everyone universally basically answers that with a little bit more than they currently make, right? If you're making 30000 you want 50. 50, you want 70. 100. If you, want to, if you make a million dollars, they are not content. 1.5, I think that would be enough. It's true, it's just universal. Contentment does not come natural to us humans. 
Well, this morning we're looking at that very practical topic of contentment, of trust, of money. We're also going to look at one of the most misquoted um, Bible verses as well. Here's how we're going to break our time. If you look on page 7, there's the outline. So trust, trust empowers contentment first, then contentment empowers generosity, and generosity produces reward. All right, so let's look at that first one. Trust empowers contentment. Look at verse 10 again. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you had revived your concern for me. Okay, so they they were concerned. Then he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It had been a while since they'd sent a gift. And he's saying, I know it's been a while, but look at the next verse. He says, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not rebuking you. He says, not that I have, I'm speaking of being in need. He said, I was fine. Thanks for sending the gift. Any time is great. But then look what he says. For I have learned, it did not come natural to him, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? You can say it. Content. That's the key word this morning. Content. He learned it. He learned to be content. But look right before that, he says, in whatever situation. And then verse 12, he then elaborates. He says, he's going to give us a list of situations. Look at what they are. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So likely saying to be in poverty and abound, having um, riches, to have money. In, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's going back and forth here. Now, what kind of secret has he learned here? He's learned the secret of being content. How to be content when he's low, content and hungry, content and in need. Is that a secret you want to learn? If we're honest, a lot of us have to say no. I'll let someone else learn that secret. I don't know that I want to be content and, and hungry. You know, our ears perk up when someone is, when we talk about money and secrets, Hey, there's this great investment, right? Or this great way to, to make a buck. All right, we yeah, get everyone's attention, right? But a secret of going hungry and, and still being happy. Um, it's not as exciting, but that's what Paul's saying here. A key piece of this, the, the title of this section was Trust Empowers Contentment. All right, where does trust come in? It comes in at verse 13. It's trust of God, trust of our Heavenly Father. What's 13 say? Here it is. Here's this verse. You all know this verse. It's greatly misquoted. Let's look at what it actually is talking about. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, this is common. How is this normally used? This is used of, it's kind of the the Christian version of, if I've set my mind to it, I can do it. That's how people use it generally. It's used all kinds of ways, right? And so I want to start a business. Hey, the the Lord's going to empower me to do this. I want to learn an instrument. I want to Go skydiving, whatever it is, right? People with all kinds of zany things, they say, but um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, in the context of this, what was Paul actually talking about? Is he skydiving? No. Is he opening a business? No. He's hungry, and he's still content. And he says, God has strengthened me to be in need and still be content. Do you see that? That's, that's what he's in this context. That's why he's saying this. He's not talking about dreaming big dreams and God's going to fulfill your big dreams. Churches do this. There's nothing wrong. We have dreams for a church. But in this specific context, he's saying, God will strengthen me to be content as I suffer. Now, of course, Scripture is, is, means more than one thing, right? You can use it. So let's broaden it out. 
How could you appropriately use this scripture? Well, in anything God gives you, any challenge he gives you, he will then enable you to do it. See the logic? So the challenge he's specifically talking about is being hungry and that he can be content. And so, therefore, if you have trouble in your marriage, you have trouble with your kids, you have trouble in whatever, whatever trial you have, you have a shortage of joy, of peace in your home, whatever, that God will, he will strengthen you to be able to endure that. Do you see the logic there? And so that's how you can use scripture. You understand immediately in the context to then safely apply it to other contexts. There's a little free tip for you. How to use scripture. Okay, so let's look further at this. Oh, there's a key word in 13. Look in there, it says, I can do all things through him, through Christ. You could translate that just as easily, in Christ. You see this a lot in the epistles, in Paul's letters. In Christ. What enables you to do hard stuff, like being hungry, being in need, not having everything you want, is that Christ is, if you're a believer, Christ is in you. You have his example, but you also have his spirit in you. That's the key to that verse. Okay, I didn't want you to miss that. That's really important. All right, if you have a toddler, do they, are they real worried about their basic needs? Are they worried about money and food and clothing? No. <laughs> they're, they're counting on you to provide that. Now, how about an orphan in India? You better believe it, right? They're worried about all those things. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have no, there's, there is no money. Their safety, like everything is their concern. It's very different, isn't it? Between your kids, your toddler, and an orphan. My question is, are you an orphan? Are you an orphan? I'm spiritually speaking, are you an orphan? If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you've asked him to forgive your sins, I have really good news for you. You're not an orphan. That Jesus has enabled you to be adopted into God's family. It's really great news. Galatians 4 says this. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. That's good news. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. So if we are sons and daughters, why do we act like an orphan? Now, do you know what that, what would that mean? What does it mean to act like an orphan? Well, think about what we just talked about. Orphans are worried about all their basic needs. Are you worried about all your basic needs? The, the little toddlers that I see here are not worried about their basic needs. Mama's going to take care of you and daddy's going to take care of you, right? And so you too can say that. Daddy's going to take care of you up in heaven. Your father, who's better than any of us, who has unlimited supply, will take care of you. And so this enables us, that trust enables contentment. That trust enables contentment. Think about this. Paul's hungry, right? Um, was it that God couldn't give him what he needed? No. God, I mean, if, it was, if it was for Paul's best, he could have had a feast every day of his life. Could God not do that? But it was for Paul's good. And so if you're a child, you can trust that your heavenly father has good purpose. If he doesn't give you everything you need, it's not because he ran out. It's because he has some good purpose. He's teaching you something, right? Or, or you are shining to everyone else. Wow, that person is not loving this life. They're looking to the next life. So there's purpose in it. Do you remember when I used that analogy of cold clothes 
like when you're camping. This was some weeks ago. So if you weren't here, here's how it goes. When you're camping, you get up in the morning, you put on the clothes, and they're really cold, right? It's uncomfortable. I mean, if it's really, really cold, it would be painful, right, to put on a, an almost frozen garment, right? And so suffering is that way. Um, when you put it on, when it, or it puts on, it, it just comes to you. You don't, you don't get the choice usually. And uh, it's, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. But if you're healthy, when you're camping, your body heat quickly heats up that garment, right? That piece of, piece of clothing. It's the same way. If you're a healthy Christian and, and you end up with suffering, it hurts for a little bit, but you will warm it up. Contrast that with a person of poor health. What happens with them? They have a hard time maintaining body heat. My kids harass me about this, but no, my body heat's just fine. But there's nothing wrong with a fleece, right? Anyway, so, but a person who's sick can't warm up. They have to go to a fire to warm them, something external. And so many people lack contentment. They do not trust God, and they're angry. Hey, this is, this is a cold garment. I'm not happy. D- does the logic make sense to that? So they have some suffering. They're like, hey, I need something to warm me up. Give me a campfire. Right? They want something external. They're always looking for something external. My circumstances are what are going to keep me happy. But with contentment, this enables you to be happy even when you're wearing cold clothes. You'll warm them up. Your body heat will warm up. You'll be all right. right? And so that's the way. So trust, your trust of your Father he has good purpose. And even when he doesn't give you everything you need, that enables contentment. Okay, so we've got several connections to make. Hopefully you, you got the first one there. Okay, so if trust enables contentment, what does contentment enable? So secondly, contentment empowers generosity. All right, so let's connect these dots. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. So Paul's saying to them, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. Hey, partnership. That's the theme of the whole book. Do you know that? So way back in chapter one, that's what he said. He said that thank you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. That was chapter one, verse five. All right, and we've seen that theme through this. He's talking about their partnership. See, they didn't just send money. They sent their hearts. See, they, these people, they loved Paul. And Paul loved them. And we've seen it over and over. He talks about their, his affection for them, how he has them in, their, in his heart. Right? There's this amazing relationship between them. Look at verse 16. Oh, let me finish verse 15. I got carried away. Entering into partnership with me in the giving and receiving. No one did except you only. Then 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need. Once and again. So two times they sent it. So this is at least the third time now. Now, is this because like the Philippians are wealthy? They just had lots of money, so they just sent some over to Paul. No, almost certainly they're poor. So this would require sacrificial giving, right? That they are giving out of their poverty, not out of their riches. Now, why in the world are they doing this? Why? We we know the why, because they love Paul. But how? How are they doing this? I want to look at that for a second. Can you be generous if you're discontent? Ponder that for a moment. Can you be generous if you're discontent? I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Scrooge. Let's, let's hear about Scrooge. Scrooge, are you generous? No. Are you content? No. Right? Scrooge was always greedy for more. Right? He never was content. And so then, likewise, he couldn't be generous. I mean, if you aren't happy with $30,000 a year, are you really going to give any of it away? 
If that's your income, or 50,000, whatever you make. If you aren't content with that, you know, I, I make this much, but I really want this much. And then, but, but to give some away, this is going the wrong direction. Do you see how there's a tension there? You can't have both. If you, if, or you can't have, you can't have neither. <laughs> you can't, you have to be content in order to be generous. Does that, does the, the connection make sense? And so they were. Yeah, so let, let's look. Oh, think about this. All right, imagine this. Kids, imagine that your father packs your lunch. All right, so I know you're already imagining big, but your, your father packs you and your siblings lunch each day, all right? And you, you have a number of siblings. You all go to school and you open up your lunchbox and one of you discovers you have no sandwich in there. He's got some chips. Well, one of the other kids opens and realizes, I got two sandwiches. All right, we have a dilemma. What does he do? You can scoff them down, eat two real fast before the other guy sees. It's one option. Hopefully, hopefully the one with two sandwiches says, well, you can have one of these. I, I only need one sandwich. Is God like that? Would God pack a lunchbox and forget someone's sandwich? Well, <laughs> no. Well, he, he wouldn't forget it, but would he do it on purpose? Would he actually give some people more sandwiches than they need and intend to provide for others? Well, that's, well, hold that thought for a second. Let me tell you about the Old Testament. <laughs> like, what does this relate? All right, in the Old Testament, there were Levites. These, those are guys that worked in the temple. All these people worked in the temple. God gave them instruction. He said, hey, I don't want you to have farmland. I don't want you to make a living. I want you to work in the temple all your time. Just serve me. Here's what I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to tell the people to offer me sacrifices in the temple, and that's going to be your food. They're going to have farmland. You're not. They're going to get more than they need, and then they're going to give some to the Lord, and that's going to feed you. Well, that's a strange Old Testament idea. What about the New Testament? I'm, I'm very thankful it connected because that's how I live on, right? I don't, I used to have, I used to be in IT. Now I spend all my time in the Word, which is great. And with you guys, it's fantastic. Okay, New Testament. Is this pattern continue? First Timothy 5, it says, for the Scripture says, this is funny, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You can think about who the ox is this morning. And, and the laborer deserves his wages. It's talking about pastors. Hi, I'm your ox. So it says, don't, that when you have an animal, you have to feed the animal if you want it to do its work, right? And so God, fought, this continues in the New Testament. But rather, see, in the Old Testament, people were bringing animals. No animal sacrifices. I am glad about that part. Right? Jesus was the one for all sacrifice, right? When Jesus died on the cross, we did this in communion maybe two months ago. Remember we talked about how weird communion is? Right? There's no more animal sacrifices. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. So now when we offer, we pass an offering basket. Right? So when you're offering, your offering is to God. Kids, I wanted, you know what a, a horizontal and vertical line is, kids? You know that? So this is horizontal, this is vertical. I'm going to use that a lot in a minute. So vertical, who's above you? God, right? God's above you, so that's vertical. Horizontal, look around you. People, people around you, that's horizontal. Okay, so that's, I'm just going to use that metaphor here. All right, so here's how it works. Missionaries and pastors, they look vertically to God for their sustenance, right? For their food, right? So we're trusting God. God, you're going to provide for me. Now, does he send angels? Nope. He packs someone's lunchbox with too many sandwiches, right? So, what he does is that I trust God for, for everything. A missionary does that too. Trust God for their food to eat. 
vertically, but where does it come from? Well, it comes from other people horizontally. Well, that's kind of interesting. But then I have to be content. If I don't have enough, God had purpose in it, even though it's coming horizontally. Now put myself in their shoes. The giver, they have to be content. God, you've given me a certain amount of sandwiches. You've given me a a certain amount for my life. And I want to give some back to you by faith that I'm still going to have enough. Right? So what if all the kids only had one sandwich and one had none? Well, here, I'll tear off a corner and you can have that. Right? And so then I, I, can, I can be content with three quarters of a sandwich. Right? And so contentment is key to generosity. And, but there's this trust, this relationship that the, the giver trusts God and says, God, you have provided for me. I'm going to give by faith back to you by giving horizontally. Do you see that connection? One author did this with a triangle. So God's in the top, the giver and the receiver are here. Both, one's giving to God, one's receiving from God, but and then it's actually the exchange is happening down here. Kind of interesting, huh? But this is profound about contentment. Because remember the connection. If you trust that God will continue to give you sandwiches, or the one guy could say, hey, I need to like stick this in my pocket because maybe I won't get one tomorrow. Right? No, he trust, we trust God that he will provide for us. Remember verse 19? Look at 19, what did it say? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying God's going to keep, keep making your sandwiches. He's going to keep providing for you. You can trust him in order to give generously. So you see that connection. So where's the passage go from here? So third and finally, generosity produces reward. Generosity produces reward. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift. He says, it wasn't that I was looking for your money. He said, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Well, that's interesting. What are you talking about? It could also be translated, um, the profit that increases to your account. Hmm. What kind of account is this? And how do you get money out of it? Well, this is like your retirement account, except you can't take early withdrawals. This is like your retirement after your retirement, right? This is heaven. This is eternal life. And so he's saying that what you do here, this is one of many verses that gives us connection between what we do in this life that God rewards us in heaven. There's many, many verses about this. And so that's what he's saying. Paul's saying, hey, what I'm really excited about is you're giving to me. God will reward you in heaven. God will reward you in heaven. That's pretty cool. And look, verse 18 goes on. He says, I've received full payment and more. You've been so generous. I got more than I need. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the guy that delivered the gifts, the gifts you sent. Oh, well, look at this. This is Old Testament language we're about to read. It says, a fragrant offering. A fragrant offering. Fragrant means smells good. It's an offering. So in the Old Testament, this is connecting again. There's a lot of connections between the New and the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, they would bring sacrifices, and it said of those sacrifices that it was a pleasing aroma to God. God liked the smell of them. It made him happy. It even says this right after. A fragrant aroma, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, what people are doing, he's saying, well, you did horizontally. You sent me some money. But God was pleased. He delighted in your gift. That's what he's saying. That's pretty cool that we can delight God even as we do things here on earth. Is it only that we're rewarded in heaven 
Malachi 3 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Well, that's interesting. God just said, put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Really? Can we put God to the test? That's what he says. Because why? Because he wants to show us that we can trust him. That's all the way back to the beginning. It's about trust. And when we trust him, we're content. And that enables us to be generous. Now, why am I saying all this to you? Is it because I enjoy talking about money? Nope. So one of the reasons that pastors um, preach through books is because it holds their feet to the fire. You just got to preach this. This is the next passage. So I have no choice but to preach this to you. And this is what it's talking all about. Right? So there you go. But it's another reason I want to tell you is because I want you to have that reward. I want you to live a life now that doesn't just waste it all on this life. And at the end, you have nothing to show for it. You get to heaven. You're like, oh, well, man, I, I just, I ate 12 sandwiches every day and I couldn't figure out why I had a stomach ache. Oh, maybe that was why you gave me all that stuff, right? They, you wanted me to give it away. I want this to be the DNA of our church. Not only if you're at the vision banquet, you saw how the pie of our budget, we want to send some out of here. We want to send some of the money out to missionaries to start new churches, right? Because we want to model this both individually with me, with you guys, but then as a church body, that you would have reward in heaven. That's another reason. I want this to be the culture of our church. And so that we would be content. Did you see, I want you to, if I'm going back, if you um, have a pen in your, in, on page seven, circle the words in verse 12, the secret. I've learned the secret. Circle those three words. Learn the secret. You know, this, it truly is a secret. Tr- few people know contentment. Financially, in their, um, in their lives, in their health. Can you be content and sick? It's hard, right? Anyone that's sick right now or it's been sick recently knows that, right? It's hard to be content and to have terrible circumstances, have a difficult marriage, have kids that are wayward. To be able to be, say, God, this is what you've given me. These are cold clothes, but I can survive this with you. Do you know what the marketing industry is, is, is counting on? Your discontentment. They're banking on it. Look, we got a new car for you. It's way better than the car you have. You aren't really content with that. You need a new, you deserve a Big Mac, something, right? You deserve an afternoon coffee, right? They're just, they're banking on that you're discontent with your life, with your stuff. You need some, some new thing. But then they partner with who? The credit card industry, don't they? You can't afford that new car, but we will give you a credit card. You can put the whole thing on credit. No interest for the next 12 months. So then you can be discontent, buy things you can't afford to hopefully have contentment. See how that works? It's lousy. It's a lie. Because the next year, that you aren't content with that. You need something else. Man, it just, it's a rat race, right? And so I want you to be content. I want you to know the secret of contentment. You will be happier. And then it will enable you to enjoy the joy of being generous with missionaries, with all kinds of people. And so I hope, that's one of my hopes from all this that we would get to enjoy being able to relax. Discontentment is wearisome. It'll wear you out. Always wanting something more. Always being discontent. Unsatisfied. A lot of anger comes from discontentment. Right? I, I'm not happy. Our kids say, why are they screaming in Walmart? You go in Walmart. 
You can hear the discontentment. Can't you? Mommy, I want that. Mommy, I want that. They just get louder and louder. And then finally the mom's like, and just hands it to them. Right? You can hear the discontentment. And so it is, we're all that way too. We just don't yell, right? It's in our, it boils inside of us. Right? It's not pleasant. I want you to have this. But all this hinges back on the beginning. Are you a child of God or are you an orphan? Are you a child or are you an orphan? Are you counting on getting to heaven by your good works? Is the only person you can trust in this world you think yourself? If that's true, if it's true that you're basically depending on yourself, I have really good news this morning. There is a better way. There's someone that you can trust more than yourself. It's God. He's more dependable than you are, if you can believe that. He is. And so by placing your faith in him, you get adopted into his family. And then it it opens all this up to you. Because an orphan cannot be content. An orphan cannot be generous. Because there's no guarantee of of tomorrow's lunch. But children, you can be generous. Your parents will keep feeding you every day. They'll keep taking care of you every day. Your father, your father in heaven loves you and will keep taking care of you every day. Why don't we thank that father together? Father, I know I didn't exaggerate one bit. It is absolutely clear in your word that you are like that. God, give us faith. Give us trust. Help us believe that you are like how you describe. That we could live like that. We could give sandwiches away and just have a blast. God, I pray that you would give them contentment in every area of life. Whether it be finances, for so many it's not. We're, we're quite wealthy people. Lord, so many are discontent in, in relationships and other things. Uh, Lord, please uh, help us. We have healthy bodies to put on cold clothes and not get angry about it. And Lord, I pray if there is someone here who realizes this morning they're an orphan, if they are, help them realize it first. And secondly, help it not stay that way. Lord, please, would you give them a desire to run to you? I know your arms are open wide to receive them. Help them realize that and run your way that they would be saved, that they could relax and be content with confidence that you will always take care of them. Thank you that that's the way you are. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.